Welcome to the Founder and Funder Experience, brought to you by Valence Advisory and Mattermade. This podcast serves to bring to light the different journeys select founders and funders took to get to where they are today. We hope their lives and their learnings continue to inspire both present and future innovators. Hello, everybody. My name is Arjun Devarera, and I am the founder and managing partner of Valence Advisory. We support founders and funders and help accelerate their efforts via people, strategy, and capital. And now off to John. Hi, it's John Lowe here. I'm an advisor at Valence Advisory. I collaborate closely with Arjun Aurora, and I'm the lead on leadership, uh, coaching, and communication. And today we have a wonderful guest. I would say he's both a founder and a funder. His name is Manan Mehta. He is the co-founder and one of the managing partners at Unshackled Ventures. But I'm not going to go further than that. I'm going to let him speak for himself and his wonderful team and company. Not that he owns them. He, they're all collective in this. Uh, Mana, maybe start us off. What's your current role and what are you working on now? So thanks so much, guys. It's great to be here. And you know, I appreciate us doing this remotely, um, considering we're all dealing with uh, some of the challenges that we are facing with COVID-19. But you know, to answer your question, John, you know, I'm one of the founding partners of Unshackled Ventures. Started the firm about five years ago with a co-founder named Nitin Pachisia, and the intention was very simple. Our job was to help immigrant founders succeed faster in the U.S. Uh, we're very fortunate to be um, still investing. We're on our second fund. We manage about $30 million under management today, have about 45 portfolio companies that we've invested in, and we, we really focus on day zero investing. And so a lot of VCs talk about you know, investing in people. But to give you some context, 60% of our commitments are pre-incorporation. So we are fundamentally underwriting people, their ideas, and what they want to execute on. Typically, no product, no revenue, no customers. And so there's really three things that we do at Unshackled, and that is the capital. And, you know, a lot of our founders will think about us as their friends and family round. As you can imagine, immigrants don't oftentimes have access to friends and family money. And so we serve as that scalable resource. The second thing that we do is provide stewardship. We recognize the difference between success and failure is oftentimes not what you know, it's who you know and when. And so we're very fortunate to be backed by some pretty um, powerful families and individuals who have gone on to be successful themselves. And that allows us to provide this network of resources to our founders at day zero. And the final thing that we do is full immigration support. So as part of our founding team, we actually brought on two immigration partners. Uh, Sarati Law Firm uh, is what they represent. But we've done now north of 125 immigration filings on behalf of our founders over the last four and a half years. Very fortunate to still have 100% success in finding a solution for our entrepreneurs. But fundamentally, the reason why we do that is because we believe solving immigration creates no business value. Therefore, it's a distraction. And if your investor can help you solve a distraction, then we're doing our job. So that's what we do at Unshackled. We try to amplify founders' time. And as I said earlier, we're here to help immigrants succeed faster at day zero. Thank you. That's really, really well said. And you know, one of the things when Unshackled first started getting its name out is that it was recognized strongly for helping with immigrants getting their visas and getting the administration process sorted out. But my understanding is, to your point, your value add to immigrant founder talent is so much more and not even pre-incorporation, but post-incorporation when now they're taking an idea or arguably an MVP to market 
and getting it into the hands of customers. Can you speak more to these other significant non-trivial value adds that you and your team have focused on behalf of your portfolio clients? Yeah, you know, I oftentimes think about our business no different than I would think about uh, the customer journey of one of our startups, right? The enterprise client or a consumer, everything starts at the top of the funnel, but once they're in your organization or using your product, then you have to serve them with customer success tools. You have to make sure they grow and scale and they stay loyal. And so as a venture capitalist, our product is very similar. So what that means is that we have to run a robust process at the top of the funnel. So the, the promise that we make to founders is three meetings, two hours or less to an investment decision. We don't follow other people. We aim to be the social signal that others follow. So we've led 80% of the rounds in our companies. So we have high conviction. That means once we start working on the immigration piece and the portfolio customer success piece, it comes down to brass tacks. It can mean everything from helping them pitch to for their seed or series A investors. It has been things around the nature of getting them published into TechCrunch, getting their, uh, their news published. We have made numerous intros to series A, A, A investors who have ultimately invested. And ultimately we've also helped our founders land some major customers. So one prime example is in one of our portfolio companies, we actually were responsible in making the introduction and the connection to help that company secure a three-year, $5 million contract prior to the Series A, which then led to us making the Series A intro, who then invested in the company at nearly a 15X valuation of when we invested. So those are the kind of things that I think talks about the customer journey of what we have to do. But what's really nice is as we've built our playbook and we've scaled our playbook, we're now seeing our founders help each other. So what's really elegant about having a tight-knit community is that immigrants wanna help each other if they know who they are. So we're now leveraging this community of nearly 85 founders to now help each other. Some have failed, some are successful right now. But the bigger point is, is they can share those journeys, those experiences, to help immigrants succeed faster. And on top of that, we recognize we have a responsibility to also scale. And so in the last three months, we've actually hired three new people to our team, two as analysts, one as associate, the analyst focusing on really the top of the funnel uh, evaluation and portfolio support. And the associate is gonna work on all the programmatic elements to scale our support for our founders. And how do we work with them so we can understand their needs around capital, customers, talent, uh, go-to-market strategy, so then we can actually serve as companies scale and get to later stages, still be a valued and trusted partner. Thank you. Thanks for sharing that. Uh, very well articulated. My correct understanding is you co-founded Unshackled, the venture capital company, but you didn't come specifically from a traditional financial background. So what got you into the game? What was the positive hook that got you into the game? I use game lightly because, you know, it's non-trivial. And also like through all the challenges you've gone through with your team in raising a, a fund, what keeps you in the game? Yeah, it's a, it's a really great question. And so you're right. I, I, I don't come from a venture background. And I think that's kind of what makes Unshackled unique is that we came from the outside. We recognize the rules of the game and then operate more efficiently within those rules. It's just like many of the founders we back. You know, they don't necessarily come from the industry, but they have a unique perspective or insight, which they then can apply into an industry they want to solve a problem for and then uh, hit the ground running. So a lot for us, honestly, it comes down to the fact that we had to go through the problem ourselves. 
right? Both Nitin and I, the two co-founders of Unshackled, shut down our companies because of immigration or our co-founders having immigration challenges. And so that perspective forced us to ask a lot more questions. And that's when we talked to people like Urgent and brought them on board to be an advisor, which was really valuable for us to recognize we don't know what we don't know. So how do we rely upon people like yourselves so that we can gain that understanding and understand the rules of the game? The funny part about it is I actually think the game is beginning right now. In situations like this that we're in at a macro level, practice is over. This is the real game. That's why today we, we are effectively telling all of our founders and everyone in our community is we are going to move all our investment capital that we have remaining into investing in new businesses. We want to invest in 20 to 30 more companies over the next 18 months. And by the way, that starts today because we think this is when immigrants need an investor like us more than ever. We have the process, we have the operations, but again, because we're from the outside and because we've had to learn how to establish our own conviction, we feel very confident that we can do this. But this is the big part of what I say. Today is the game. Yesterday we had in practice, it's time to play. Yeah, well, nicely said. My understanding is to do that effectively, you'd have had to vet and be aligned with your LPs over a period of time, long time before you have the opportunity to do what you're doing today so that when you make calls like this, there isn't like internal friction about your strategy, your discipline and your commitment to make that volume of investments, even though we're going through challenging economic times. Can you speak more to that? Yeah, I think a lot of it comes down to productive and consistent communication with your limited partners. End of the day, what are they underwriting? People, process, and performance. They're underwriting my ability or my team's ability or our team's ability to do such things. And so if we can communicate successfully that we are adding the right people, we have a process to scale, and our performance is in line with their expectations, as any manager, as any entrepreneurs, you tend to get more support from your investors. In our case, our limited partners. And so we've been very proactive in communicating. In fact, we wrote a portfolio health scorecard about four weeks ago at the very onset of COVID-19. We looked at every portfolio company, understood where they were, how many months of runway they had left, and then made a determination on how much more we'd have to reserve in the event they needed our capital. And then what do we do with the rest? What comes out of that conversation is a very simple one, that as people are looking for their next set of investors, Unshackled is very uniquely positioned to do this. It actually makes sense from a portfolio construction perspective as well, because we've also been very active in doing SPVs with our limited partners. So we've done three of them. So we've made them co-investors in our portfolio companies. All of this starts to culminate into what looks like an organization or a firm that has a lot of discipline. We have not exceeded our investment pace in any of the past five years, and we promised. We have not put good money after bad, and we've shown that we'll be very transparent with what we learn. At the risk of maybe over-communicating, we've been very fortunate to earn a lot of trust. And that trust allows us to be more comfortable with taking more calculated risks to find the next outsized return from the outliers. Really nicely said. And thank you for sharing a bit of those mechanics of behind the scenes, because it's all well for a VC to say, go on their social media Twitter handle and say, our doors are still open, right? 
But it's another question to say, hey, can you see that process through with conviction? Because have you done the work beforehand to actually play this game? And so I'm very grateful that you were transparent about that. So then would I be incorrect in saying that your standards about your speed to conviction process, about whether you're going to invest or not, that still holds true even in light of recent economic events? Nothing changes. Three meetings, two hours or less, two investment. We put that in process in place about nine months ago. We didn't know we would have an invisible enemy that we'd have to deal with. It wasn't part of our thought process. It was more so a thought process around how do we make sure that we're valuing the individual's time, the individual in this case being the entrepreneur. Nothing is more frustrating than having opaque processes with VCs. We see it as our portfolio companies raise their next round. It is absurd that a VC can't transparently tell a founder what their process of evaluation looks like. My suggestion is if you can't tell them, you don't have one and that's your problem. And so we are very adamant about customer service. We hate wasting founders time. We don't want them to educate us on the market. That's our job to do. Our job is to underwrite their key insight in solving a major problem. And so for us, honestly, nothing has changed. This is a situation in which we are working from home or remotely a little bit more than we did before. But, you know, candidly, Zoom works really well. Our process already had two steps of Zoom involved in it. Now we'll have three, so we can't meet the founder in person. But that's all that's changing. We can still invest at the same pace, if not a faster pace, with the same check sizes, with the same diligence, with the same responsibility, and bring them into the same community. That is the power of helping immigrants succeed faster. It's it's in moments like this that, again, I say this, our investors underwrite people, process, and performance. If we have those in place, we can do things like this. So well said. Thanks. And for the record, for this podcast interview, you have full bragging rights. (laughs) Because like, and the other thing is, and the reason I say that is because I'm going to ask another question because I'm pretty sure you're transparent about any shortcomings, failures, or challenges you didn't meet to the standards that you expected yourself and the team to meet, which is where I want to give you an opportunity to share a bit of like, what were some of the key challenges or missights you had in running and getting unshackled off the ground that were very humbling or stood out to you as memorable learning experiences that you and the team took to heart and really came back at harder? Yeah, I think it's really clear for me. I think the biggest challenge that we, I think, had to go through was realizing the difference between right and wrong and having influence. So when you're negotiating or investing in entrepreneurs, relying upon legal rights or wrongs can be a very slippery slope if you are early in the journey. And there's a lot more interaction that needs to happen as a company succeeds. But recognizing that if you have the right influence and you have the right relationship, you actually don't need to fall back on right versus wrong very often. And so in our case, that was a prime, one of the examples that we did, and I'm very transparent about this, is we fought for pro rata investment rights when one of our companies got into Y Combinator. It was 7% dilution and our rights suggested we could do that. We fought for those rights. We were in our second year of investing. We didn't realize as capital managers or as a fund that you know, really flexing your muscle on those rights is actually a really poor decision. And it actually makes no financial difference. All it does, it sullies your name and the founder's view of who you are and what you stand for and your inability to look at the big picture. So when we realize that after the fact, we have changed a lot of our strategy to make sure that those situations are either well communicated beforehand or they don't come up ever again. But that is something where when we look back on it, we were so fixated on right versus wrong versus having a great relationship and influence, which if you look at the case of 
a company like Lily AI that raised from Canaan and it was announced, $12.5 million round was announced in January. We were one of two other investors that got our pro rata rights. And by the way, we got more than our pro rata rights. And it wasn't because of the documentation. It was because of our relationship. And that lesson that we learned about four years or three years ago is why we're in this position today, which we think is a lot more productive. And so that was just one of those things we had to learn by doing. And I'm really, really thankful it happened early in our careers. Thanks. Thanks for being transparent and sharing that. How did you manage to take that like strategy approach and that learning and communicate it transparently and get your LPs aligned? Because arguably you have visibility, more visibility into these dynamics that influence net net capital uh, outcomes, right? That your LPs might not have. And how did you navigate that? Honestly, in our annual letter in 2017, where we actually wrote about this mistake, so we came clean right away. We noticed within months after that, that was a big mistake. We talked to a lot of people around us. And again, it was in that transparent communication that more trust is forged. It goes back to the same thing, right? How as somebody, whether you're a CEO of a startup or you're a GP at a venture fund, ultimately you're deploying somebody else's money. And what you need to earn from them is their trust so that they let you have the latitude even if they're a board member or not, they have the latitude to do what your instincts allow you to do. And that's why they backed you in the first place. But the only way that grows over time is through transparency and communication. So we are very, very big believers in this model. Um, so much so that from our LPs all the way down to our analysts, we share everything. They need to know what's happening with portfolio companies. They need to know how we're thinking about investment decisions. Because at the end of the day, when a founder asks for help, anyone's capable of jumping in, but that only works if they are armed with the knowledge of the background, right? Resharing information is a very inefficient process. So we really enjoy kind of putting things in, into writing and to share because it allows us for way more speed. And that's my job. Really well said. And, you know, as you think through, you know, one of Cambridge Associates reports on a venture was that a lot of emerging fund managers, funds one, two, and three, outperform uh, more experienced funds, right? So as you think about Unshackled growing and becoming a larger institutionalized fund, so to speak, how have you thought through about avoiding what the numbers seem to show, like a laxing in the original founding standards that made you what I would say on the way to becoming an iconic fund in the ecosystem? Yeah, and there's three things that we're constantly thinking about. Number one, we plan on growing our partnership internally. So we want to make sure we're generationally relevant at all times. We think that's a great way to avoid complacency, meaning if you can bring somebody as an analyst in over five or six years, they become a partner in the firm. I think you're actually creating a very strong culture of autonomy and conviction. That is really important to us. So that's number one. Number two, you know, a big part of it is recognizing where our arbitrage sits. Unshackled's arbitrage is investing early when no one else will and securing better economics than anybody else would. When in reality, six months later, our companies are raising seed rounds of three to $4 million at a five to six X higher valuation. I will tell you this right now, those businesses are not five to six times less risky than when I invested. So recognizing the financial arbitrage that we've created by having high conviction at day zero is a very good way of maintaining our focus on what we do and avoid strategy drift. The final thing is comes down to portfolio construction. So as we go out to raise our subsequent funds, we recognize again, what our uniqueness is. And that is our initial investment strategy. No one else can do what we can do from 
the stage all the way down to immigration. We are the only, what I call full service product for immigrant entrepreneurs. And so by putting more of our capital, 60 to 70% of our capital to work at those stages, and then having a smaller reserve that many seed or pre-seed funds have, it just forces us to keep on being disciplined because it's really easy to get caught up in the bright lights of series A, B financing. And that's when a lot of funds put good money after bad. So if we can secure economics early with the right portfolio construction and the right team that scales internally who want to build their own track record, I think we're setting up ourselves to be disciplined and avoid what a lot of the funds tend to struggle with, which is complacency and all of a sudden living off management fees.